What's up? It's a new episode of Metric. I'm Michael. I'm Tim. And uh, I guess we're just going to pick up from wherever we ended up last week. Yeah, so we ended last week with, I was telling you a story about a UX colleague of mine who worked at Pansy Bank, and they conducted, they were trying to increase products and not for their small business loan users, and they were wondering why none of it was selling. And so when they actually conducted user interviews and research, they realized that none of the products that they were bringing to market, uh, <laughs> any of the users wanted. And so I think we were started talking about this kind of duality of what do um, companies get out of products and what do users get out of them? Last time we spent a lot of time talking about Facebook, but so that may be a good place to start, but like what is Facebook getting out of their service and what are users using it for? Yeah, and we started off kind of like talking about how jobs to be done is at least a useful framework for trying to determine or trying to better align that product market fit as opposed to ending up in a situation like your buddy who <laughs> created a, or, or there was was adjacent to a product that wasn't really made for anybody. You also were talking a little bit, which I think you just briefly mentioned last time, the snafu that Facebook just went through on the news. Uh, yeah, uh, so I guess it's hard to pinpoint. Right now it's early February, but it seems like almost weekly or bi-weekly, there's some sort of data breach or tr a trust breach with regard to Facebook, right? It's it's just one of those things where, um, I guess in this case, what I referred to last time was this issue where Facebook had a research app that, in fact, I don't actually know all of the details, but somehow it got into hands of teenagers, 13 plus, and it was a user research tool, and I believe they paid the folks who had that app, maybe like 20 or $30 a month, which happened to give Facebook access to all of like the deep data streams in their phones, the messages and, and, and API calls made by other apps, their own IMs, things of that sort. And it's just the fact that like consistently, ever since like Cam uh, Cambridge Analytica, sometime mid last year, early last year, I, it's, it seems like yesterday, but ever since then, Facebook is clearly signaling its lack of concern for user privacy. Yeah, and I think Apple said that they actually were, didn't Apple say that they were banning Facebook's research app? Because yes. that market research app or whatever it was that was collecting users' personal information, it was paying users in exchange for their mobile data? Yeah, it was violating some sort of uh, Apple terms of service. It's hard to talk without talking out of turn because I don't recall all of the details. What I do recall is, you know, that however you would chart or graph my opinion of Facebook as a user, my trust in Facebook, um, it would be a consistent downward slope. And it just kind of took a little bit of a negative spike uh, this time last week. I think if you look at some of these, so it is, you are correct. It's like time moves like like triple fast or something now. And it seems like all of this, if you think of like companies that are under the lens of, if you think of Facebook or Google or Uber, you know, I'm reminded in the last year or two of all of these horrendous things that happened at Uber <laughs> and then basically how to nickel and dime and take advantage of it. It's like, okay, so all the taxi, I don't even know. It's probably two years now. Um, and 
and I don't know where we are in, in regards to this presidency or administration, but whenever the ban happened for certain travel bans on different countries, and you know, the New York Taxi Union actually boycotted service to you know the airport in support of Uber's, just like, hey, we're gonna jack up. You know, this is our perfect. Let's start surge pricing. Hit, yeah, we just hit gold. Woo! You know, and it's just. It just makes you wonder, like, at some point, you know, I under, I think people really understand, unless it's much more dark and nefarious, I guess, but people pretty much understand what these companies are getting out of it. They understand that they're getting customer yeah. purchase data. And basically, Facebook is getting this, like, mountain of, like, marketing data, right? That's for each person and what you'll buy. And then if you say something and it's picked up by your phone or your Messenger app or you're, or you're texting it through Messenger or something like that, then, ooh, like, ads start appearing up, you know, in different places, right? Alexa recording stuff. And then that retargeting, showing ads, you know, kind of for things. I think people have even tried to prove it, you know, and that have <laughs> successfully proved. Do you, I want to kind of, I don't know how we ended up getting on large tech company trust issues, but I like this topic. Do you, like, are you that confident that people actually know what they're trading for these services? So, you, well, I would say for those who are adjacent to the tech community or software right. community, we probably definitely know. And yeah. just because we kind of do it probably ourselves to some degree or use their services or use their our app developments or working with their APIs or things like that. But that's a good point. I, I think, you know, that your average person who's just like, oh, I like Instagram because it's it's not as negative as Facebook. And but you're seeing you think that, oh, it's free. That's why I'm using it. But it's not free. You're it's collecting data from you and it's showing you advertisements and then it cross targets those advertisements. So you maybe you're right. It'd be interesting to know, like, how many people are actually don't know what big data is being mined and then what is being kind of scraped from that and then used and being sold, you know? Have you, I kind of want to touch on this big data thing. Uh, have you heard of Facebook described as, or Amazon or any of these described as a data factory? Is that a term that's... Like... I mean, definitely Amazon, I think is a data factory, <laughs> 100%. I think Facebook is definitely, and I think a lot of people don't think about Google as being one. Oh, Especially since Google basically is like, gives away cloud storage, gives away email, gives away their, their mobile operating system for any, right. it's their model is to give it away for free, you know, but people don't think that, you know, what they're selling is, I mean, okay. So there is a part of Google, right. That it's just like this um, very pro humanitarian part. Right. So when you look at things like the solar project where they're like, Oh, we built this thing. So you can see how much space is on the roof of your house. And it, it's this layer Ooh. of Google map that says like how much solar exposure you get. And then, yeah, here's a company next to you that will install solar panel. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. That, oh, that's, that's the first time I've heard of that. That That's not just cool. That's incredibly cool. That's even... Oh yeah. It's called, wow. um, um, I'd have to check it. It's either the pro uh, project solar or like the sunshine project or something for Google project sunroof is what it's called. If you've never wow. seen it and project sunroof is, as you go and you just enter your physical address and it gives you a Google map with a solar overlay. Right. And so you can enter, uh, it's kind of interesting because what they do are they're recognizing where your location is, what's your sun exposure, but they which they can tell automatically with Google Maps or some stuff and weather patterns, right? And then they put you in connection to here's some local solar panel distributors who will install it for you. And here's the energy credit you would get from the US government. So it seems like, oh, Project Sunroof is great. And then, so I always have mixed feelings about Google on this, right? I'm like, definitely like Facebook evil, you know what I mean? Amazon's pretty evil. 
people. When you think of like Amazon in regards to diapers.com, I don't know if you ever saw what they did to diapers.com and no, I have to know. There. There's actually a really fantastic episode of Adam Ruins Everything specifically about this. Um, if you don't know, have you ever watched Adam Ruins Everything? Yes, I love that show. It's great. So he has an episode that's basically like diapers.com was the number one place people were parents were going to buy diapers and because they were cheap and they would ship to you really quick. And, and so Amazon is not in the business of making money. Amazon is the business of market dominance. They basically, like they do every other company, like like Facebook does, they approach them and said, hey, we want to buy diaper.com because we want to sell them. And the company were just like, mm, we're good. We don't really want to sell. We're fine with the profits that we have and we don't really want to expand. You know, we're kind of okay. And so they flooded the market with even cheaper diapers and then no one was going to diaper.com anymore and so then they go back to diaper.com like i feel like ebenezer scrooge or some evil coke brother caricature or something and it was like do you want to sell now (laughs) and they're like i guess we have to you're kind of killing us and it's like but we're only gonna buy for half of what we offered before you know And so then they buy the company and diaper.com, the brand gets associated and then they jack up the cost of the diapers. So anyways, the point being is that Facebook has done that to how many different companies you can go to. There's a Wikipedia page devoted to like all the companies that Facebook has bought out. But I always have mixed feelings about Google because they feel so like they have all these really hearts, like lovey-dovey kind of feel good kind of things because like, like Project Sunroof, you know, they have, um, is it Bloom or Project Blimp? Yeah. To where they're testing like free, giving Wi-Fi to the world for free. You know, right. it's it's like blimp. It's it's Wi-Fi broadcasted by blimp over developing parts of the world. And which is beautiful. Like when you think of that, right? There's a, and that they're like, we can keep a blimp up in the air for a month to six weeks. And then if inclement weather happens, we can rotate our pattern. So and lower the balloons through AI and then they can respond to the weather. And so you will never have a breakup of, of service. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the begs the question, like what we're talking about, like what is Google getting out of this? You know, what is, when it's obvious what the customer is getting out of it, free Gmail and free email and free cloud storage. And oh my God, I think everything I've worked on in the last three years has been in Google drive because it's oh, just the easiest way to work. Uh, no, like all of our, um, you know, proprietary document specs are in a private Google drive. <laughs> You know what? I think what the reason I asked about the data factory is because I think what they get out of it ultimately is predictive power, right? The, the, the ability to, this sounds, this sounds incredibly malicious, uh, villainous, even the ability to predict the future in, you know, certain ways. So the idea of the data factory is just that like, Hey, like, you know, no offense, but your personal data as Tim Broadwater isn't, isn't super valuable to someone like Facebook. They might be able to target a specific ad to you, but you're probably pretty darn good at resisting those ads. The, what it gets though, is like, it gets Tim's data and it gets Michael's data and it gets, you know, the data of a hundred thousand other people. And then it crunches it and it does something new and it produces new data, new patterns from that, like, like a primary level of data. And thus the data factory is that takes all this raw data, like raw data ore, and it turns it into data steel. And then it produces then it can use the data steal for its own means or it can sell that. So for me, the 
I think the predictive power is both terrifying and like, you know, a, a, a compelling explanation of, you know, what is it underscore company gets. Because Project Sunroof seems like something that a Googler with good intentions, knowing the Maps API well enough, could reasonably do by good intentions alone. But there's other... I looked up this fake list of mergers and acquisitions by Facebook Wikipedia page you mentioned, and there's some like really bizarre shit in here. They bought like a furniture startup and like other things of that sort. And the only reason I can think of them entering these verticals is because they had some indication from what, who knows, uh, perhaps from their data factory, that this was a good vertical to get into. And what's funny is like with this predictive power, it makes their next move to an individual almost unfathomable. Uh, and it may seem like random. It's interesting because, you know, I see Facebook pushing into, if you look at their last three or four different acquisitions or the ones in the last year, chain space, red kicks, things like that, they're, it's more into work collaboration and communication and work tools. And then Workplace by Facebook is kind of its own, I, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the service is, except from like communicating and collaborating across devices, you know? It, and so is that- I've used it. Have you, all, have you used, um, like Microsoft has one as well. That itself was almost like a response to the introduction of Slack and, 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 and kind of like the, the light that Slack shown on workplace and inter-workplace tools and the potential market there. Facebook Workplace is a chat room. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a work siloed ecosystem with walls and video chat and docs and files. And if you look at all the different things that Facebook provides to say like a Facebook group, um, the ability to upload files, it has its own doc, like a kind of like Google doc tool, which is actually pretty good. I stumbled onto it just the other day. It's all, it all accretes into this like workplace product that like, basically lets people use their Facebook accounts to connect with their employees. It's, it, it's, it's, it is Facebook, but just like a workplace one in the same way that Google has like the Google, what what is it? The Google Suite or the uh, the Business Suite or Admin Suite? In, in the same way that like workplace emails are technically Gmail with their own kind of yeah. branding on it, mm -hmm. um, something of that sort. That's interesting because um, so two things there. One kind of talking about back to your comment about taking or the steal, right? And you're thinking about what I think of is you're talking about where we were talking about the PNC bank story or scenario where, right. you know, it's just like we there's a disconnect between what a product is and we're just putting stuff out there and we're, and we're trying to inquire why people are buying it. Um, the exact opposite, like Facebook is like, we are looking into the future five years and 10 years and we're trying to acquire or move into markets that we know and we're where we want to be and position ourselves and how do we get there by acquisitions instead of thinking of like so thinking of this or is like we have michael's data and we have tim's data and um everyone's data and for some reason there's this there's a lot of communication either on twitter or through messenger or through things that are happening that are like purchasing sports equipment or like doing something and so just like so why is this happening let's crunch that big data and and distilling it to like steal this is the the indicator here that in this one podcast or this one video or someone and listen to you know watch this twitch tv this is why this is occurring and then we can see like this is happening in 25 to 42 year olds who are in like rural whatever <laughs> like and so the amount of data that they can actually compile from 
that. I mean, it is amazing because then they can say like, okay, from this, we can predict that this is the next like logical step. And this is something that we should buy and acquire and move into this direction. And it's just, it's kind of, uh, it's impressive, but it's also so like you said, it's it's kind of gets a little like it's a little scary. It's it's also not a hundred percent unrelatable, though we may not have the the com- the computational power to to do this through machine learning alone, but distill what it's doing it's it's observational data it's uh, it's observing users and then drawing product based conclusions from those observations as opposed to having an idea for a feature and then finding like seeking out confirmation bias to rationalize building that feature so like last episode we we did kind of talk about how jobs to be done is or can be a tool to think orthogonally uh, the the great like awesome example I used was this drill company, drill <laughs> drill dot com. I don't want to like. Oh I my god! I have that. that. I'm uh, definitely gonna put that in right now. <laughs> and and um, but you can see that instead of like moving into a vertical that is drill adjacent, such as screwdriver dot com, they might get into something like carpet or into furniture or. Uh, something that is along the lines of the the end job to be done for which people bought that drill, the perfect living room or something of that sort. You have this grin on your face. What What is drill? I mean, drill.com is being squatted right now. So if you want to buy oh, it, you could, you could totally buy drill.com because there's literally nothing there except a resale. So. It's like sold by like Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I always feel like you like one word domains, like you always like, oh, I want fireball.com or like yeah. lightningbolt.com would be cool or, you know, something like that. And it's always just like squatted and it's going to be there for 10 years squatted upon and no one's ever going to buy it, you know. I love these new TLDs, though, that allow you to have relatively, like, ridiculous ones. Apparently, there's, like, a like a, there's a dot LD, and I tried so hard to get Scofi.ld, so it was just my last name. Um, Did you get it? No, man. It's, like, 100 bucks a year. I'm oh, like, my gosh. It's, it's just one of those things um, that, yeah, I... I use hover.com just to watch this. Uh, for the record, if anyone wants that, I just let usertranscripts.com expire. Tim, I think this was a project that you and I daydreamed about, or we were just shooting this shit, and I bought the domain, like, years ago. Um, for what? It's usertranscripts.com. I, um, I, I think the idea was that, hey, we have all of this, like, I don't know what it was. It's basically like, hey, if you have a user transcript from a from an interview you conduct, like, certainly just post it publicly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was just going to be like a collection of user transcripts. Well, that didn't get off the ground too well. But I have all sorts of, like, little uh, domains like that because... I think you, I'm the same way because I have like toyed around with a children's book. And so I got a domain for it. And then it's like, oh, I'm doing my graduate thesis. I, I got a domain for it. And then right. it's like, and it's like, oh, I have this idea for UX quackery. I'll get a domain name for it. And so after, and then uh, my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago. And like when we were going through her house, her cell, she had like all of these like boxes of like recipes and I was like so I got a domain name just like one day I'm gonna put all these recipes and transcribe them into this great site and it never of course happened right I still have all the recipes of course but it's like I don't know I have a friend who like in 2015 
when the election was happening. Yeah. Uh, bought Trumpocalypse.com. Oh, no. But he got Trumpocalypse.se. So it, it says Trumpocalypse, right? Yeah. In one word, but it has the .se ending. And I told him, like, after he got elected, I was like, oh, my God, we have to do some really cool API here. We have to pull in some news feed and pull in yeah. some of this Twitter feed and do something that's just, like, amazing. Uh, I think if you go there now, it's a martial arts studio. I don't, he just... Because he does martial arts and his... You know what I mean? And and then his kids do martial arts. So I'm just like... I think he's like, oh, might as well use it or lose it. Or I don't know if it's a redirect or what, but yeah, it's a martial arts studio. It's some but, sort of, like, high-level commentary. I guess. <laughs> like, I Trump brings us all to violence. <laughs> I guess, apparently. That was a good tangent. I had, like, some really good domains. I, I might keep usertranscripts.com. They would be cool to, like, funny ones, right? Like, if it was something that was, like, like Urban Dictionary, like, people upvote, like, on the best or funniest ones or something. So or... I own shitmichaelsays.com. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, um, I, and I have, like, other things. I have some, like, great ideas that um, I should, like, uh, tell you afterward just so i can share them i i know they're never going to come to fruition but i don't want to post them into the public but like i got um you know i, I was a librarian I, I guess i still am um i have whylibraries.com but usertranscripts.com is expiring soon and i um this is the first i don't actually know if i'm going to be able to go through with it but this is the first domain in years on which i deliberately turned auto renew off like last week i'm like look yeah. I just gotta let go. <laughs> I think that's the thing, like with the with my grandmother's website and her recipes. Yeah. Like after the second or third year of renewing, and I'm just like, I'm never gonna do it. I need to spark and, joy. I watched uh, Marie Kondo's uh, TV show on Netflix, um, and I need to spark joy on this horde of domains. My my shelf of domains. I have a very funny story, actually, yeah. that is timely as well. Please, please. Because recently here, we had Groundhog's Day. Yeah. And there Wait, is... Wait, do you... Why did you stress here? Do, do, does does Groundhog's Day not exist for me? Oh, no, no. So Groundhog... There are multiple Groundhogs across the country. And so everyone only thinks of, you know, kind of Punxsutawney Phil. But there's actually French Creek Freddy, who's the West Virginia Groundhog, and he's You're more kidding. accurate... No, no. French Creek Freddy is more accurate weather for West Virginia. And you can Google French Creek Freddy. He's he's the West Virginia groundhog. And there are more. It's not just Punxsutawney Phil, right? And so... It, make, it makes sense to have, like, regional ones, but I've... Never... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so several years ago, I got together with some devs and some UX people, and we're like, we have this great idea. And so we got a Google Hangout, and we were talking, and basically it was like... What if we could make a website that you the user goes to it and all they do is enter their zip code and it tells them if the groundhog what the percentage of accuracy of their weather prediction was against actual <laughs> weather. And so we were like groundhogslie.com. And so we reserved groundhogslie.com. And then we started the project and we have like mock-ups and we built the site and everything with some friends. And then when we started to actually look at data, um, we're like Okay, so there's a spreadsheet f for, like, there's actually no actual data source for Punxsutawney Phil, right? It's just, like, you would have to manually maintain a database each year mm -hmm. to say, like, if it's six more weeks of winter or whatever. And then you could look at NOAA for weather um, data, but it's, they don't do API. You'd have to just get, a, like, a JSON or a dump every year or update mm -hmm. it each year. And then we'd have to... So we started getting to this point where we're like, okay, so when is... 
Groundhog's Day, and we look for six weeks after that. So we have to start like putting the data in a way to where like, how do we determine of six weeks, which is seven times six days, you know, of whether like how, what's the percentage of winter? Is it 50% or 60%? And then like, okay, then we have to compare that value to whatever is in the other database, French Creek Freddy. And then we say, okay, he was inaccurate like 25% of the time. And then show a funny gif or meme of like an evil groundhog laughing like, <laughs> or something and so and then you of course would just share that like on social media twitter facebook or something and so we kind of fell down at the data scientist point where we're like we don't know how we don't know how to data science this at all because there are data scientists in the world who i respect completely that they can do this kind of stuff and we did not have the minds to do it but yeah it was uh talking about a shelf of domain names and cool intentions for projects that never get to fruition that was one of the ones that's had and then every year like two weeks before groundhog's day there's always like a sad desperate hey guys do you want to you want to try this again and see if we can get it up by groundhog's day and it never happened wow i don't even know what to say <laughs> that's wow I, I think you just ended the episode right there <laughs> <laughs> Like, projects that never get off of have great intentions but never actually get off the ground did you guys, have, whatever a you did you guys have a name for that service it was groundhogslie.com perfect and so groundhogslie.com was going to be this great thing and and basically it was like you know if you we didn't have the skill sets in the team and we didn't know a data scientist and we did we had the we could pull the data but we didn't know how to concatenate it or with big data like how to compare it or it's kind of funny, like thinking about like, you know, the, what did you say, Mike, the shit that Mike says.com or whatever? Shit Michael says.com. Yeah. What was your thought for there? What was it going to be? Well, let me open Facebook and I'll tell you. So, <laughs> I don't know. I say a lot of shit. And like at some point, um, my girlfriend at the time, Nayeli, and uh, now my wife, um, she started quoting me, uh, hashtag shit Michael says, and then other friends started doing the same it kind of like picked up so uh so i just went into facebook and i typed in shit michael says um this might be only if like you're a friend or whatever which you are so you might be able to see this okay um but i have a lot of shit and like and so i wanted to basically drop all of these as like just kind of have like a quote generator so that shit michael every, every time you visited shit michael says.com it was just like something it's just things that i've said and i was like hey uh, I'm, I'm gonna find one. Oh, okay. Um, so sometimes I post ones I'm proud of. Uh, this one is the most recent, posted on January 30th by Nayeli. Uh, Michael, quote, <clears throat> we're not talking, like, so I, I forget what we were talking about it, but at some point I said, look, we're not talking about it. <laughs> we're not that close yet, Nayeli. What do you mean? I'm your wife. Yeah, you got a long way to go. Hashtag shit Michael says. Um, <laughs> okay. It's like... <laughs> So, so someone else, uh, January 19th, uh, my friend Carmen, do you smell toast? Because if you don't, I'm having a stroke. Shit, Michael says. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is just stuff you put on Facebook. This is stuff other people put on Facebook that I say at the time. So like my friends, like in real life, they heard you say something mm -hmm. and they put that, they put it up. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Like here's one, uh, Nayeli, uh, Michael puts his hand on my cheek and says, 
Ah, your little head fits into the palm of my hand, dot, 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 so I can lift it above my enemies. Rah! <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's so, fantastic. So just the fact that, like, uh, basically what happens to, so, like, over the last few years, like, I've, with Curtis, like, you know, my friends sort of bought into it, and I have this record of just, like, silly things, like I say, in, in, in peaks of, like, being manic. Well, I should collect these, and this will be my legacy. If there's nothing else that I leave behind, you know, there will be this random quote generator. But of course I never, I never did it. I own the domain. But this one actually feels like something I should do because mm-hmm. I have the content. I just need to drop it into like a, like a JSON file and, um, and just load a random one. It doesn't even have to look good. But. Yeah, I think I did, uh, I have something similar to where, like if I come across a movie quote, which I think you remember back to for this on LiveUX, it was like, I think a clueless, I'd use clueless a lot of times, or I would create memes all the time and post them up on Twitter. And I started using this tag and I can search that tag. And it's like, some of them are from Sherlock Holmes, some of them from books, some of them movies, but it was like this, I wanted to do like uxmemes.com and someone took it already, right? Oh yeah, it sucks. But it's interesting here because I think what we're talking about is, and is a great topic for a show because it's almost like the creative exhaust or the quirky fun that people pursue and then it becomes something right yeah yeah. um and that's i think worth talking about because what i think about is css tricks chris goyer you know basically where he's like i'm just trying to put these things up if i learn stuff and it did this or like or someone who builds like a specific app or um you know just out of necessity or fun and how cool that is you know and how it's become something more than that you know right and css tricks uh, ultimately i think let chris coyer he left his job and, and now you know he was one of the co-founders of CodePen, which is so but you're right it's just a little passion project are you familiar with like code katas k-a-t-a-s I th- you've talked about it before i think uh, yeah, probably to you. Um, this uh, The idea of like a code kata, right, is that there is kind of like an algorithmic challenge or, or a small programming challenge. The more you do it, the better you get. Right? It's a way to strengthen your skill set. User experience designers have a problem in that a lot of UX jobs, especially like UX slash UI jobs that you see, require a certain amount of either experience or certification and get to my creative juices. I think that's great. I think that's honestly where we talk about the next episode, because what I would add to that, and I won't go into detail because we'll do it next episode. You don't have UX experience. How do you do it there? One of the mentalities online is like, you know, one of the fields that needs the most help and will get you some UX experience. And then also makes your feels good. Good is that nonprofits need tons of help volunteer and do some good ux work for some nonprofits that need it you know so that's a perfect win-win kind of scenario right so we should talk about next time like not just these creative exhausts or passion projects that go out but then like getting experience with ux and then doing these katas or doing nonprofit work and like ways to kind of how can these creative interests or exhausts or passion projects give you um, the experience you need for your resume as a UXer. Yo, thank you guys so much for uh, listening to the end of the episode. Um, if you want to help us out, the best way to do it is to star heart or favorite 
uh, this episode in your podcatcher of choice. If you can leave a review, that'd be super nice. Don't leave a bad one. We only want good ones. Um, most importantly, if you can share on social media and just kind of like get your other friends who are sort of in the biz or kind of even like widely adjacent who wouldn't mind listening to us jabber on for 30 minutes. Um, that goes a long way. You can find these and prior episodes on metricpodcast.com. 